Michael Williams Stark is an improv comedian, public speaker, voice actor, and musician who is the subject of the international award-winning CBC radio documentary, Making Faces. The documentary, also featured on National Public Radio, bears the same name as the registered charity Michael founded to foster life skills through improvisation for children with facial differences. He is truly an amazing guy with a powerfully inspirational story to share with us. So let's take a listen. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today on Be The Good. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for putting up with me. Oh my gosh. No, we had a couple diff- uh, technical difficulties getting ourselves uh, into this interview, but we made it work. And I'm so happy to share all the incredible work that you do with your organization, Making Faces. I wanted to um, get a little backstory on you first for our listeners. So much of the work that you do today was inspired by the significant challenges you faced since um, having been born with what was considered, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but was considered the worst bilateral cleft lip and palate case in British Columbia. Well, I was told at the time of my birth, it was the most serious uh, case in British Columbia at that time. But yeah, that's okay. And so that you were born, um, you know, with the, the cleft lip and palate. And do you right. mind telling us about what you remember most from your childhood and how old you were when you learned that you looked different from other kids? Well, I realized when I was about four years old, um, because people kept driving by on the street I lived on and yelling things at me. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm just really popular. You know, and I'd wave back, you know, <laughs> I should run for political office. Um, but then I realized they were yelling stuff at me like hair lip and freak and blah, blah, blah. And I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand what that meant. So I can remember my mom holding me up. Uh, lifting me up and showing me my face in our medicine cabinet mirror and explaining to me why I'm different than other people. So uh, that's the first time I really realized that I was different. Uh, Apparently stuff happened earlier. My big sister says um, she learned the uh, meaning of a broken heart when I was on a swing at two years old and all these kids uh, just gathered around and started taunting me and making fun of me and she had to pick me up and carry me home. So I guess heartbreaking. It's just the way it is. Right. But so I can only imagine how emotionally difficult that was as a child. And that that and compounded with I think my parents thought they were doing a good thing by it, but they sent me to a Catholic school and my grade one nun was abusive. So I got off to a pretty rough start. That's awful. Uh, the education field as well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. at what point did you begin to take act or interest in acting and performing? As early as I can remember, I liked voices, um, which is funny because I was uh, born. My voice was very distorted. You could hardly understand me. Uh, the clap in my palate was huge. Um but I can remember as a little boy, my sister says I used to call her and say, read it to me, Frankie, read it to me, because the Popeye credits would be coming on. <laughs> I loved Popeye. I love that Jack Mercer, who did the voice. I love that. And I just thought, I still think that's the greatest cartoon voice ever. But I was fascinated right away. 
And I think I realized pretty early on I had a gift for mimicry because I would, in grade one and stuff, make fun of the teachers or whoever. I could do their voices at recess, so I'd have a good crowd around me laughing at that. So. And do you think that that was an outlet for you to help process all that you were enduring in terms of the bullying? I would reckon so. I don't know many comedians that were happy. Like when I read the histories, say Stan Laurel or Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton, the people I really love, I don't think they were particularly happy people or uh, had various challenges. So uh, Stan Laurel might be the exception. He seemed pretty grounded. But um, it, it might very well be. The other thing that saved me is that in uh, Canada, because of our close ties with Britain, the Beatles made it big in about 1962. And I can remember hearing Please Please Me on the car radio and asking my dad, turn it up, turn it up. I, di I didn't know what it was or why it was, but that also completely changed my life. And uh, that got me into music. And I think singing helped me to develop a a voice as well. So you were eventually led into voiceover work, correct? Yeah. At what point did that come into play? Yeah, how's that for a masochist? So I'm uh, facially disfigured. I'm vocally distorted. I ended up majoring in theater and then becoming a voiceover actor. So um, what happened is I was in a band actually out in British Columbia, a bar band touring around and whatnot, but I always loved improv comedy. So I said, I'm going to uh, quit the band, go to Toronto and do some workshops at Second City, which I did. And from there, we formed our own improv group. And with improv, you just develop so many characters. So I started collecting voices and uh, I made a little demo tape. And sent it to an agency. They heard it. First agency picked me up. Um, they sent me off to my first audition, which was the Mario Brothers, and I landed the gig. So that's awesome. That was, yeah, it was really great. And uh, so that sort of was the start of it. But I've been doing voices my whole life just because it's like music, really. I hear the sound and I'll try to mimic it. Well, I think once you have the talent for something like that, it's hard not to keep. I think most Try of us, new things, right? I think most of us do have a talent for it, though. I think uh, people say, well, I could never improvise, for example. And I think, well, unless you woke up with a script, you know, you're improvising every day. You and I are improvising right now, right? Absolutely. Give and take. So, yeah, absolutely. And what I think is so cool is how you've taken the adversity that you faced through your childhood and, and young adult life due to your circumstances. And you combine that with your talent for improv and voices, and you created Making Faces. Tell us what Making Faces is all about. Well, Making Faces, you pretty much nailed it. I use improv comedy and acting exercises, and I use music quite a bit too, uh, to do, develop day-to-day -day life skills with uh, children that have facial differences. Well, it started with facial differences, but... Um, one of my former students now has a little baby uh, or a little boy with autism. We're going to work on an autism program together. Um, I've, as you know, worked with uh, people with scleroderma. Um, I worked with people with motor skill problems. So these these improv skills are fairly transferable, you know, to many aspects of life. How it started for me is that I knew as a child I hated to make eye contact because I'd be letting people in, right? And I could be setting myself up for ridicule. 
uh, and certainly fighting. I could fight 24 hours a day as a kid if I wanted to because there was always somebody wanting to fight. Um, and I just realized that was no way to live. But as I got into improv comedy, I realized that those skills are the same skills that often are lacking in, in kids like me. So uh, eye contact, voice, that sort of thing. You can't get through an improv sketch without making eye contact. And eventually, it's just so much fun. The skills are so much fun. And I think fun is the greatest learning tool you can possibly, teaching tool you can have. Um, I ended up just, uh, I realized that, well, these skills are what we need to, you know, to develop. But it's so much fun. It becomes second nature for the kids. And by the time they come out of my class, they're making eye contact. And one little boy said, hey, Michael, instead of standing at the back or hiding at the back of the class, I volunteered to give my talk the other day at school, like that sort of thing. That's and so those cool. Are the real gems for me, like one school, one kid was a school valedictorian, another got accepted for theater school. But it's those little day-to-day challenges when they tell me I did this or I did that, you know, for the first time. That you know, that makes it all worthwhile. That gives me the goosebumps just hearing that because. You know, through this organization, like you said, you foster life skills uh, through improvisation for children with facial deformities. Um, I I read a quote from you recently that I wanted to share because this really summed it up for me, uh, the power of what you're doing. So the quote was, they're not just like any other boys and girls. You're speaking about the kids that you work with. They face a very different set of challenges. We all have wounds or hurts, but those with facial differences have to wear them. These kids are beautiful, creative little beings, and they have the right to participate and love and be loved and chase down their dreams. Oh, I said that. You did (laughs) say that. And it's like one of the greatest things I've ever heard, because I I think that, um, you know, you're helping to create a more compassionate reaction to their differences from the world around them. You know, you're not only teaching them these skills and and helping them brave the world, but you're also teaching other children how to be more compassionate to people who are living with these differences. And uh, the theme of our conversation here on Be the Good is is compassion and how we can all commit to living more compassionately. Mm-hmm. That's something that I'm trying to focus this ongoing conversation about. So I'm wondering if you can tell me what compassion means to you and how you've seen compassion in action through your work. Well, I guess compassion to me is acceptance, really, and trying to create an environment of of caring and acceptance. And I want people to realize those with or without visible differences, but we all have differences inside or out. And to maybe really seek, look into it because your difference might be the greatest thing about you. Like I discovered mine was, it was the bane of my existence as a child. And I found out it's the most wonderful thing about me. It's the thing that allows me to give back and to be of some value in this world. I don't know that I would have found, I know I wouldn't have found anything like this if I had not been born the way I was, right? If I had not been brought up the way I was, I wouldn't have discovered making faces. I wouldn't have found my, maybe I would not have found my life's purpose, but I really feel that this 
has been my uh, has been a gift to me in a way. That's amazing, and I think it's also so important that you not only you have you that you've kind of come full circle in your life, you know, in terms of everything that you went through gave you, uh, you know, the ability to help people in this way and help children. So importantly, children who are just trying to navigate life with such adversity, uh, you know, and you're able to say, like, I've been there, I get it, you know, and now let me give you some tools to help break you out of your shell and show you, you know, that you can, you can live a fulfilling life despite all of these challenges. And um, I'm sure somewhere in your journey, you had to make a decision to truly follow your passion for helping others, right? Yes, actually, I give a uh, when corporations want to bring me in for a chat or whatever, I do like doing public speaking. But I give a talk, I say I give a talk, but mostly what I do is improvise. (laughs) That's what you do. (laughs) But I have a talk that I call let your passion overwhelm your fear. And that actually came out of uh, I'm quoting myself because uh, uh, I read after I I do these interviews and I can't remember what the heck I've said or whatnot. And I was reading that at one point once somebody said, well, how of all the things you've gone through, why did you go into theater and a voiceover work? And I, I, I answered, well, at some time along the line, I had to let my passion overwhelm my fear. And I think that's what it comes down to. Um, you know, you want to live a fulfilling life and we're all going to face some sort of rejection. So get over it, you know, get it. I mean, if that's what's stopping you from having a fun life, an exciting life or a fulfilling journey, get over your fear, let your passion carry you through because that's, you know, our time is short. But um, yeah, I just think our lives are, this is a real gift. This is our time. And uh, let's, let's, Share it and live it to the fullest, you know. Absolutely, because fear can and be so paralyzing. Is, yeah, it, it really can be, and and I still have. Uh, I, I've often wondered. I should do a PTSD uh, test, but because I found out a lot of kids growing up like this do have it, but I still have a lot of fears and setbacks. That oh, I hope I can do it. Uh, I have my doubts, and then I just think, hey, practice what you preach. Get out there and get it done. So I think that's a great point because you know, leaning into the fear and pushing forward and following your passion doesn't mean that the fear is going to go away, right? No. Like there, you're yeah. still going to continue to hit challenges. Your fears are going to still keep creeping up. But what yeah. I found is that you just get a little stronger in your ability to face the fears, right? Exactly. And in a way, in a masochistic sort of way, I guess it, it becomes almost fun. You know, like, okay, I've worried about this my whole life. Hey, I did that. Now I'm going to try this. It's freeing. And I think it's great because what you're doing is you're showing other people, you know, this, the way, the way to do that. And I'm wondering if, um, and speaking to my listeners, could you tell us about what drove you to really heed that call on your heart and how important do you think it is? to our collective well-being, that we find a way to do something that's in service to others? Well, I think that's where my joy comes from. And often we don't realize it until we do it. I mean, I was—I played music for a living and I loved it. And I loved the cartoon voiceover work. But I never, can't say I ever felt filled. I felt fortunate, you know, lucky. But it was 
doing my first workshop for kids with a facial difference, I think, uh, well, actually a friend of mine, my friend Abby said, you know, you should really work with kids like yourself because I never dealt with my past. I, I had never seen a, a baby photo of myself. I just didn't talk about it or do anything. But that one question, she said, don't you think you should be working with kids like yourself? And I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to have to suck up some courage here because, yeah, I think it would have made a big difference to me as a child if I had an adult like myself in my life. I wouldn't have been so isolated and alone. So it was just getting over that hurdle. But then once you do that, you realize, oh, that's there's my joy. It was like getting a kiss from the universe. Like I thought, holy cow, this not only can I make a difference, but in a selfish way as well, it just completely turned my world around. It was like all of a sudden I was showing, I have a grade two photo of me and it goes with me on my interviews. And I would never have shown that at one time in my life. I hid from what I was. And these kids have made me proud of where I come from. You know, they make me realize I mean, they're just such brave, heroic little, you know, little beings that they make me proud of where I came from and and they give me hope in what we can accomplish. So, 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 so cool how rewarding it can be. Yes. Yeah. Well, like you said, in a selfish way, I agree that the uh, work that I've done and what my passion has led me to do, there's been a ton of hurdles and lots of fears, lots mm-hmm. of personal fears I had to overcome. Oh, yeah. But in those moments of connecting with people through my work, right. the joy that you feel when you know you've you're helping somebody in some way, you right. know, I I often say it it does. And I probably sound like a broken record now through all my podcasts because I kind of keep saying this, but it doesn't have to be this major thing that you're doing. Right. Like okay. every day we can commit to small acts of kindness or yeah. just finding ways to tap into your own talents that could be of use to help someone else. And maybe it is a major thing. And the maybe t- it is, right? The tiniest thing you do might be a major thing. I was teaching in Boston last year and uh, after the workshop, I'm always drained after the workshop because I relive my childhood, but I was walking out in the foyer of the hotel and I heard two mums speaking and they, one mum saw me pointed to me and said, that man changes lives. And that just, I I wanted to cry, right? That just, and I thought, you know, how many of us are fortunate enough to get that kind of reward and feedback? And And the truth is we all have the ability, right? We all have the ability to make that kind of difference. And I think we don't always realize it. But I mean, that moment hearing that mom say that will will probably fuel you for the rest of your life, right? Exactly. And um, too, I do see people starting to step out and say feed children that have lost their parents or, or just getting more involved community, involved in community activities uh, to help each other out. And I, I hope that just spreads. I agree. It, that's that's a lot of what I'm trying to do here is have a positive conversation mm-hmm. and shed light on the good because there's so much good that exists in our world. And we are right now not paying attention to a lot of the good. We're paying attention to the negativity. Right. And you, and I'm speaking to your listeners, uh, you can just step out your front door right now and completely change the world by making a, a bit of a difference in your community. 
because these things have a ripple effect. And Absolutely. Absolutely. The, families, the families I deal with often have never met anybody else who are dealing with some type of difference. And uh, they end up becoming a community. They end up becoming uh, friends. Actually, if I could put you onto a little uh, a YouTube video. Yeah, please do. If you look up Big Hill Making Faces on YouTube, Adam Big Hill was in the NFL. He's now in the CFL, Canadian Football League, which I prefer. Um, <laughs> Uh, and he, he's involved with my charity. He was born with a, uh, left foot and palate and he's one of the greatest athletes I've ever met and a beautiful human being. But anyway, there's a little uh, video about he and I working at a camp out in British Columbia, actually. I think it was. And, uh, it's a beautiful little video, but it really does tell a story of, you know, what we can do and what can be achieved. And that's so great because it sounds like your work inspired him to step out and talk about it, possibly. It's all synchronicity. Um, I noticed when he was with the BC Lions, I thought, hey, there's a brother. Like, I knew right away. It was, and I'm a big BC Lions fan. He ended up going to New Orleans for a while. Um, but anyway, uh, I was just so moved by that. And it turns out, he was tra- my nephew trains athletes. He was working with Adam. No he way. Said, you got to meet my Uncle Mike. And that's how it all wow. worked out. Isn't that amazing how I'm the, just like you said, the synchronicity yeah. and those opportunities are around us all the time. All the like time. You said you felt like you're being kissed by the universe. You know, I, I really feel like if you put your intentions out there and your intention is to do good stuff, all of a sudden people and opportunities and all of these things pop up from what I believe is the universe guiding you to make yeah. it happen. Well, you, and you need help. I mean, I, I certainly don't do this on my own. I have uh, a couple of board members that are a big help, but I'm terrible with money. That's the thing I'm bad at. So I, <laughs> I like as far as fundraising, that sort of thing goes, you know, I really need a fundraiser because that is not the thing I care about at all. I don't, and I don't charge the families for what I do. So I just try to find corporate donors or individual donors and whatnot. So I can, because I'll never charge the families. It's difficult enough. And but I that is that, why you need somebody. You need to build a team around you to help support your mission because those people can be specifically dedicated towards these things and they're probably better at it than you, oh, right? Yeah. That's what I have found. I've found that. You know, the people that I've hired around me, say my accountant or a lawyer or, you know, Uh, they are skilled in what they do. You let them do their thing and you stay focused on your passion driven mission. Yeah, I really hope that volunteers step up with their skills and and help out because uh, really when it comes to finances or I think in most ways in this world, I'm lost. (laughs) I love teaching and I love, you know, I love what I do. You're inspiring so many people. I mean, this, I'm so grateful that I finally got the chance to connect with you here. I mean, really, this was, like I said, five or six years ago, I heard Michael speak at a scleroderma event. And ever since I've been like, I'm going to work with him in some way. I've got to share his story somehow because you really moved me. And I want other people to hear this story and to help support your mission. Just like you said, you need volunteers, you need donations, you need help doing what you need to do. So if people want to help with your work, um, help support your efforts in your organization, how can they best do so? Well, they can certainly uh, 
donate online at, at makingfaces.ca. But maybe you're somebody unlike me who's wise in the ways of online funding, GoFundMe and those sorts of things. Maybe you could help us in that regard. Maybe you know a professional fundraiser that'd be able to give us some time or uh, just put your thinking cap on and think of ways of doing it. I do have to say uh, my American audience has been very receptive to making faces and I do quite a bit of uh, teaching now in the United States. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, it's really nice that... um, that, uh, you know, the, the Americans are very passionate, I found, about uh, taking chances on something they believe in. And uh, that's meant a lot to me. So That's awesome. And it's all yeah. about getting, continuing to tell your story as you do best and getting people to understand what it is that you're doing and why it's important. And then you start, you know, to get that ripple effect of people that want to support. So I, I'm so happy that we get to share this with my listeners. And I really hope that it helps bring in some more support for your organization and i can't thank you enough for your time well thank you christy if you enjoyed this episode of the be the good podcast please like comment and share you can find more episodes on apple Podcasts or your favorite google play app and be sure to follow me on instagram for daily inspiration at b.thegood Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember that we can all find our own way to be the good.